Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, where we talk about everything Pixar ever made and what it means to us. I'm Danny Vincent, and as always, I'm joined by Mark Young, and today we are talking about five shorts. Five shorts. I feel like the previous most we did was the suck app, the um, the Sesame Street episode, and that was like that was like four. Yeah, I'm really glad that we're doing all. That. We've decided to like pack them all together instead of just doing like two in an episode. Like originally, I think that was our plan, but. I'm glad that we're bringing these all together. One of the made Okay, so to be clear to listeners, we're doing the four Mater Tall Tale shorts that were released in 2010, along with the Pixar short La Luna, which premiered at Anarchy in 2011 before Cars 2. However, it did not get attached to a Pixar film until Brave the following year. And Anarchy is an animation festival. Yes, and it's actually going on as we're recording. Like, so probably two weeks ago at the time you're listening to this, but it is this year's festival is going on right now. But what I was going to say very briefly is I think one of the Mater shorts, if we really had wanted to, could go along with La Luna on its own. However... Then we'd have this really bad episode with three Mater shorts we don't care about. Yeah, exactly. But yes, the uh, Mater shorts, to be specific, we're talking about are Heavy Metal Mater, Monster Truck Mater, I don't think I'm moving in order, I'm just saying off memory, Monster Truck Mater... Uh, Moon Mater, and then Mater Private Eye, which is the one we are excited to talk about. Because it's slightly better. I think it is good. I think it is a... I have it at four stars on Letterboxd. Keep, I'm keeping it there. I think it is a legitimately good short film divorced from the Cars context. And with the Cars context, it is probably one of the best things the property ever put out. I do think that we're starting to see more of that, what you say is the cars too, we just don't care, it's all cars mentality in these shorts, and I think that is paying off because of things like Made a Private Eye, it's just like, we should just tell this kind of goofy detective story. Since you are still embargoed, I believe, on Cars 2, Made a Private Eye actually does include some interesting... Cars 2 engages with the idea of conspiracy theories in a Cars world, and I think Mater Private Eye kind of touches on that too, which I just think is interesting. You know, it's kind of foreshadowing. But also it's not because it came out a year before Cars 2, so Cars 2 is well into development at this point. But let's just go through the Cars ones in order, and then we can talk about Mater Private Eye as much as we want. Let's talk about the bad ones first, though. All right. Monster Truck Mater. Mater's a monster truck, but it's randomly professional wrestling. Well, wait, why do you think that's weird? I think they would be the wrestlers in that world. Well, if I remember right, granted, I've only seen this one once. I think in Cars 3, Mater, if I remember right, Lightning goes to a monster truck rally, and it's just a monster truck rally. It's not like wrestling. I wouldn't have minded the monster truck wrestling if it was, I don't know, I'm just bothered it's in a ring, if that makes sense. Like, if it was, like, an arena, like, an actual, like, monster truck arena and that was like pro wrestling there and you actually like try to make it a meld i'd be less bothered i definitely feel like it's more successful because they're making it in a ring well i'm not gonna i don't I fight too hard on monster truck mater i think if anything this one's flawed because of the three we watched it's one that has it has the least amount of plot it is literally made her going like i phased off against this guy then i phased off against this guy then i phased off against this guy and then i phased off against this guy the end. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I actually, I all these kind of suck, but I didn't hate this one just because I thought it was kind of funny to see the monster truck characters, and I think the Rastakarian is a funny name. As a as an ongoing precursor to Cars Two in and of itself, that Mark knows about this complaint of mine is uh, we get the first appearance of ice cream in the Cars universe, which will set up the joke in Cars Two when Mater thinks Wasabi's ice cream, which uh, again really confuses me. <laughs> 
Just like, can I have a, I don't know, the moment where Mater just pops up like as a kid going, please, sir, can I have some ice cream? It's just like, all right. Well, I think, too, because of the fakeness of wrestling, a lot of this is more acceptable to me. Like, even though it doesn't make sense in the Cars universe, it makes sense that they're doing all of these ridiculous things. I guess, but it's one of those things where, to me, it does not fully... I don't want to be like, it doesn't, it just doesn't fully work, but it's just like, there's nothing, like, compared to Heavy Metal Mater and Moon Mater, which, like, have actual plots to them, to the degree of success is up to you, but this one, of all four, or specifically of all three, because I do think, actually, I'm going to say right now, the reason Mater Private Eye rises above the rest of them is because all these other ones feel like something that you could walk in on Disney Channel at any time and immediately catch up what's going on, whereas Heavy, uh, whereas Private Eye Mater is, like, Here's a story that is a very easy to solve mystery, but it's still, if you miss something, you're going to be like confused on what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas all these other ones are like, you can walk right in and immediately catch what's going on. To, to risk sounding like a um, CEO, these three are constant, whereas Mater Private Eye is short. <laughs> wow, that's the meanest thing that you could possibly say about any of these. But I definitely think Monster Truck Mater feels the most like content of even these three i will say that i really enjoy the animation of the, the i don't remember what his actual name is frankenstein's monster when that thing comes on stage i think that's Franken, legit, i think like, it's frankenwagon i have the car whatever yeah, it's sorry I was when his monster comes on stage i think the animation is really fun because of just how creepy it is and you know none of the other cars are animated in that jerky style so that's kind of a neat moment yeah uh yeah. Well, anyway, actually, wait, I remember my last thought. My last okay. wait, 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 wait. My last thought on this one was also, and all these, you know, lightning shows up because that's just what it is. These always have a different like paint job. I think this is by far the worst paint job he gets in any of them. It looks very cheap to me, and not like cheap like in the sense like in the world of the short, it's cheap. It looks literally like they did not finish animating him to me for some reason. I don't know what about it is, but it looks mm. a very off to me. His animation here. Yeah. Great. Next, Mater Short. Wait, before we move on, we, we're going to do this at the end of all of them. Remember, we, we, I have my old Letterbox Joke reviews that got a ton of likes on these Mater Shorts. Oh, that's right. Monster Truck Maters was, I got 39 likes out of it. It's a two and a half star review. I'm going to see if there's anyone above me first. Sorry, I forgot to do that. Oh, this is the top review on Letterbox for this short. It's just, imagine if Darren Aronofsky had directed this. Because I just watched The Wrestler. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> Thank God that you said that, because all I have to talk about are the clips from The Wrestler that I watched before coming on to record this episode. And I'm like, I'm truly like, damn, I have just like completely done a 180 on how I feel about Darren Aronofsky movies. I, I just don't see the world in that way at all anymore. I should rewatch The Wrestler. I feel like I would still like I The I don't wrestler. think you should. I think, I think you completely misremember The Wrestler. It is as ridiculous as like Black Swan is. But I've never seen Black Swan. Should I at least watch Black Swan like a first time? Well, I guess you should watch Black Swan to experience Black Swan and have that little bit of 2000s culture. But I don't... Like, the thing I remember is I watched... This was even something that critics were saying at the time, is that you watch Black Swan and The Wrestler together for some reason. As, well, because they're both about, like, artists driving. And I think together they're interesting to compare them like that, but it's just like we said about Up, it's really critically interesting and then you actually watch it and it's like, ah, this is kind of like the part from Flight where he has that relationship with Kelly Riley that is sucks compared to the rest of the movie. 
and that's what the wrestler is to me it's just like scenes like that i don't know i i I have like respect for darren aronofsky as a guy who's like putting his vision out in the world but i just think that he's like so cartoony in his portrayal of like evil and that is really frustrating did i get my thought on the little mermaid on this podcast i forget it is related to what you're talking about trust me wow i okay (laughs) like you mean the new one yeah the new one Oh, okay. I thought you were like... So, it came to my mind. Uh, first, let me give you my connections. Let me, give, let me give you my brain connection to it. We're talking about The Wrestler. Talking about Darren Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. I had the thought that, you know, Darren Aronofsky, like, Mickey Rourke is the only one that didn't win of, like, the three big leads of his, like, Oscar-y movies, you know? Because Natalie Portman won and Brendan Fraser just won. And I thought, what was this one he did, like, recently besides this? I was like, oh, yeah, Mother. And then I remembered, oh, Javier Bardem is good in that movie. And then I had the thought of Little Mermaid. That is, that's where all the connections went. <laughs> oh, okay. Is he good in The Little Mermaid? Is he as good as he is in Lyle Lyle Crocodile? No. Lyle Lyle, he should have been Oscar nominated for it. I will go to bat on that one. He is a phenomenal... Did you ever watch Lyle Lyle on my recommendation? I forget. Well, I watched some clips of it, and I just watched him in it, and then I was like, if he's... If he's not doing his wacky thing, I just wouldn't care. I don't much care when he's doing his wacky thing. I think I think Scoot McNary and Constance Sewer are also very good in it, but they're not on Javier's level. But anyway, my thought was in, that, in The Little Mermaid, and I'm going to spoil The Little Mermaid here, but nothing happens in this movie that you didn't see in the original 1989. So nothing I'm going to talk about is new to this version. But Javier Bardem is giving one of the most checked-out performances I've ever seen for a vast majority of the film. And I think it's because he's acting on against nothing in green screen. Because it's just... Mm. It's absolutely... He's giving absolutely nothing. And it's like, oh my god, Javier Bardem, what gives? But then in the very last scene in the movie, when, you know, he's actually, like, on land talking to Ariel and sending her off to her wedding... That, I, I started crying because it's like it's the one scene he's engaged in the material because he's actually acting off someone and he gives this line where it's like Ariel it's not exactly it's it is cheesy like this but it's not exactly what I'm gonna say it's like I wish you didn't have to lose your voice to finally be heard and I just started crying because Javier Bardem delivered it so beautifully and I'm like man this guy really is one of our greatest actors that he can be completely checked out of a movie show up for the last scene and still make me cry it's funny, I guess maybe it's because of the circles that we're in. I feel like I've noticed more blatant, we hate green screen acting, we hate the Marvel engine takes from people. I, I, I mean, maybe that's because of the circles that we travel in, but I feel like that's becoming more prevalent, at least according to like news things I've seen. And Did you see um, Michael Shannon's quote about The Flash that like came out yesterday? I'm kind of thinking of The Flash and Michael Shannon, and I guess, I don't know what that is, like, why are people being, like, unleashed, like, off the leash of Marvel's PR team is what I mean by that. I mean, in the case of Javier Bardem, he's, like, the one Oscar-winning actor hired for this movie, so he's like, okay, I'm getting my paycheck. Well, Javier Bardem hasn't said anything bad. I mean, actually, people are coming out and saying, like, working on this film sucked. I feel like we've heard that from, like, three or four different people now, and I'm just amazed by that. I feel like Michael Shannon, at least, has always been kind of, like, outspoken about stuff. But I get what you're saying. I've definitely seen more of it recently. And, you know, you see that stuff where it's like, I wish we did our own stunts. And I don't know. It's all... I feel like post-COVID, even before COVID, now the big marketing thing is, like, authenticity. And giving you, like, a real experience. Like, I saw, like, you know, when Guardians 3 came out, they were actively marketing, like, this movie has the record of prosthetics. There's not a lot of CGI outside of the raccoon and Groot. 
and most of these creatures are just makeup and stuff. And it's like it's really interesting that you're selling a Marvel movie. That's cool. On this. Yeah, I thought Marvel was kind of immune from the it's real life. It's not CGI. James thing. Gunn. Do, James Gunn's got a blank check from them basically. Especially because he's leaving, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> but well, I don't know anything about that. Anyway, well, you know, that's all I mean. Is like he can say whatever he wants in the marketing because what are they going to do? Fire him? He's already been hired by like DC. That's all I meant by that. What are they going to do? Fire him again? <laughs> anyway. <Yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> Heavy Metal Mater. Heavy Metal Mater. Mater starts a garage band, and they get uh, picked up for the sound. Imagine just became a Steve Jobs parody after the garage stuff. It was just oh, Mater yeah. becoming Steve Jobs. <laughs> Heavy Metal Mater. He becomes a musician, and he starts a band, and then while they're recording their... Like, that thing you do, ask Bop, the lyrics of which are just dadgum, his drummer starts chasing a fly around, and he starts hitting the drums really fast, and then they change their sound to metal, and they become heavy metal mater, and there's a record producer even that shows up, and he's like, I actually really like this line, because his assistants are like, oh, boss, what's that sound? And he's like, that's the sound of angels printing money, (laughs) and... Then the rest of the short happens, and it's just kind of like clips of them at a giant heavy metal rock show, and there's all these special effects, and then Lightning's like, what? That was wrong or unreal? And then the short ends. I think it's interesting you make that um, that thing you do connection, because I think that's probably what the people at Pixar I don't thinking. really know of a perfect, like, touch point for that, besides from, like, I don't know, it did the monkeys, like, have a have recordings i just think that's what people this was get. on disney channel three years after the iconic gitchy gitchy goo dropped um from phineas and ferb now i'm sure the people at pixar did not were not inspired by phineas and ferb while watching this but as a child i guarantee well, as a child as a 15 year old who would catch this on disney channel in between episodes of phineas and ferb that's immediately where my mind was like oh there's doing the phineas and ferb because i i mean i feel like phineas and ferb was doing the the other band movie thing. Well, I think Gitchy Gitchy Goo is a better song than that gum. It's a catchy song. I was going to say, better than that thing you do? That's an actual I haven't heard... Song. I actually need to watch that thing you do. It's a, it's a oh, blind spot. The movie's fine. It's just a really good song. I know it's by the Fountains of Wingo. Oh, wait. Speaking of music, by the way, did you notice who did the score for these? I hadn't noticed it before until these ones. Not Michael Giacchino, who I looked up because he did La Luna? Mark Moversberg did the score of Devo for all these shorts, which is um pretty crazy to me. He used to be a Phil Lord and Chris Miller's go-to composer, and hot take, I'm glad he dropped. they dropped him recently, because uh, the Daniel Pemberton score for Spider-Verse 2 is chef's kiss. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was very surprised to see Mark Moversberg <laughs> taking his, bothering to take his time with it. I think it's Mother's Ball. Is it? Have I been, have I been mispronouncing his name this entire time? Because I've been talking about him as a good composer. Uh, my big hot take... Yeah, it is Mother's Ball. You're right. One of my biggest hot takes, and I think I actually dropped this way back on why is, is I think um, the Thor Ragnarok score is like a top three MCU score. I'm coming at it from like the techno tracks of like Jeff Goldblum's planet. They're super th- cool. synth-infused. Heavy Metal Mater. It's whatever. It's the shortest of these. It's too short to leave a mark. I think there was one joke in it I liked can't even remember what it was, but, like, I don't know. I also the thought that I get the appeal of heavy metal and, like, the funniness of, like, putting them in the rock outfits and stuff. If we're going to do a Mater's, like, music biopic, wouldn't it make more sense to, like, toe the line or something like that? 
like Johnny Cash thing. If they if they thought to like write an actual song for it, that might have been a good idea. But I I think it is it works better that they have Dad Gum just as the lyrics to their song. I'm a little frustrated that like there is not a clear melody in any of the songs that are in this short. So it's like you're not actually sure what the tune is, and it just sounds kind of atonal and. Dagum, 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 dagum. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it does. It's not like he's actually singing a song. He's just kind of like, I don't know. It just the songs actually sound really annoying. That was my problem with the short. Is that not that they have to sound great, but it's so much of the short is them playing these songs, and they sound kind of like whatever. Anyway. Mater to the Moon. Wait, wait, wait. Now, this is by far, I believe this is my most liked Mater review on Letterboxd. I cannot fact check right now because I don't have all of them open. It has 85 likes on Letterboxd. It is the most liked review for this short by three things. I will read the comments first before I read it because I do think the comments are amusing. One of them is from when I first posted it. Someone commented, Imagine Cars 4, but it's just Mad Max and they have to survive a post apocalyptic wasteland. And then my comment is, it would guarantee for all history that the even Cars movies are great and the odd ones are bad. And then I have a comment from three months ago that I just now noticed that's in Portuguese that I translated is, which just do not understand. So this guy didn't get my joke and felt the need to comment. But the joke is, um, it's one and a half stars, and it says, the fact that Mater never went on a drug-induced fender bender is one of cinema's greatest missed opportunities. That's a good joke. I'm proud of that for you. Thank you. Anyway, Moon Mater. This has kind of a funny premise. So they're doing this, like, astronaut short, and one of the astronauts, Impala 13, is on the moon, and he says, Houston, we have a problem, and he needs a tow. And then all of the people at NASA are like, who do we know who can do a tow? And Mater happens to be there. And they're like, oh, oh, this guy can do it. So they train him, and then they shoot him into space. And then he gives the Impala 13 a tow, and then that is pretty much the most memorable part of the short. The one thing I remember about this short is I had the thought that it looked like it was supposed to be a period piece. Because Mater has his paint job, and I think all the cars are like late 60s cars. Until, of course, lightning shows up at the end. I felt like it was kind of an unfortunate use of lightning, because I think that... This is actually my least favorite lightning you were there as well joke because he just truly is there and he seems to not really be connected to what was going on at the moment. So frustrating. It would be really funny if they revealed like lightning is an alien from space and he like hijacked this mission. But I know they already did the alien thing. So that's probably why they didn't do that. Yeah. I don't know. This is this is definitely by far the one I have the least amount to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you sitting at home can probably imagine what happens in this short. What was your review on Letterboxd? This is one I want to hype up a bit, because Julius is commented on this one. And the only thing they said was, this may be the best review, maybe your best review this year. Maybe your best review of the year. And my reply was, thanks, I try. It only has 13 likes, but it's a very good review. Um, context is, I need to give context again when I watch these. It was in August of 2018 I watched all these shorts. So the review is... Three stars, so I guess I was a little kinder to it than I than I am going to be now. The best film about the moon landing I'll see this year. And this was when trailers for First Man were out. So, the Damien Giselle movie, First Man. 
Did you watch First Man? Yeah, actually, it's the only movie I've seen in real IMAX until I see Oppenheimer in a couple months, which is really cool. Speaking of IMAX, I have been coming on the show and kept saying that I've been seeing things in IMAX, or when I was a kid, I saw things in IMAX. What I actually meant is I saw things in Omnimax at the St. Louis Science Center. That is what the name of that is, and that is why I was so scared by things. So... I was. I've just been calling that thing wrong for episodes and episodes. But anyway, it's funny though because I know you saw like Creed and IMAX, so it's like you're just like this is as wide as I remember, as good as I remember it to be. <laughs> yeah, well, that's been my. I haven't even remembered the name of it, and I'm just like, what? Why is none of this as big as it felt as a child? But, well, actually, the yeah. uh, if I remember, the Museum of Science and Industry has an Omnimax. I haven't been there since I was a kid. I think they still show like science movies there. But I do remember there was, like, one summer where they showed Shrek and, like, Harry Potter 1 there. And I'm very curious how that played out. But also, I'm like, eh, I, th- I think I'm okay. Have you seen Crooklyn? I saw it a long time ago, and I didn't don't remember much caring for it. Oh, I but really liked means, it. I mean, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. I think it's probably a good movie. I saw it on 35mm yesterday. And it, I'm going to be very vague because I know you have listeners who haven't seen this movie. And I think this was a really great, pleasant surprise. But I do think the movie has one of the largest formal jumps in like a studio film that i've seen in a quite some time and i'm gonna leave it vague at that but also acknowledge that i was talking about the giant omnimax is what reminded me of this i'm sure mark knows what i'm talking about off of that well let's get to the real star of the episode mater private eye mater private eye it's based a fantastic on... short <laughs> a yeah. shockingly very good short film yeah, and I, I feel like it's maybe it was because they were, like, forced to write dialogue for this short. You know, I don't know what could possibly be going on behind the scenes, and i wrong to speculate. But Mater Private Eye is based on Mater, and it's like a Chinatown ripoff, but it's also, like, black and white, and it's kind of just a jumble of a bunch of noir tropes and things. I think it's also, like, I mean, Roger Rabbit is a play on Chinatown anyway, but, like, it outright lifts the line from Roger Rabbit at one point, you know? Which made me laugh. Good cultural reference. But, so Mater is investigating counterfeit tires, and I, I think it's really interesting for the short, probably what you picked up on too, is that it starts, well, I forget which one she is, Mia or Tia, coming into Mater's office as his private eye office or whatever, and she's like, my sister has been kidnapped, and this is like the most she's ever had to say, and I think that's that's really interesting <laughs> that they're giving her this like big role instead of Flo or somebody. I feel like there's a whole other version of this they could have done where it becomes like Vertigo and it's between me and Tia. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, so he goes to investigate and there's a Copacabana scene, which is called the Carbacabana. And, yeah, then he goes to the docks. They're just all kinds of great scenes. I love it when he talks to the the garbage truck. And that, that too, is just, like, <laughs> this is great. What I thought was really good here also is, uh, and I know the monster truck one is the same thing, and there's other ones like this, too, but most of the cars, none of these cars are really recast characters other than me and Tia, who are not really characters ever, so this is the first time they actually make an impression. So it does give the vibe of, it is just Mater as a detective in an area like you've never seen him before. It also, like, it, like, immediately starts, and it doesn't ever really break it to make a joke. All the jokes are really baked into the premise that are just natural, like, 
oh, Mater's a little confused, but then he's getting to the bottom. Like, because he is a competent detective in this, too, which makes it good, too. It's just... Yeah. And the lighting is cool. The camera... I don't, I don't know if the camera works the right word, but, like, whatever filter they have on the camera looks really good. There's just a lot of effort put into this. I feel like mm-hmm. that is not prevalent in any other of these shorts. Even Tokyo Mater. Yeah, but Tokyo Mater does that thing, too, where it's, like, set up joke, set up joke, set up joke. And this, as you said, is just kind of the joke is that the scene is happening, but the dialogue doesn't change very much. And it's actually just like what what you would do if you were writing like a lighthearted noir. So that's fun. Yeah, I, I have to think also, if I remember right, this one and um, the moon one were on the, sh- the DVD they put out initially. And then they aired them on TV after. I remember seeing Moon Mater a lot, but I do not remember seeing Mater Private Eye a lot. And it's probably because, like, it actually is a little dark at points, which is cool, too. Like, Mater gets his light smashed out. And I like that. Also, I like that because Mater's light is always smashed out. And this is the one that's like, here's the origin story of how he got his light smashed out. But I like, also don't draw attention to it, yeah, which is I, well, cool, Well, I didn't too. even think about that. It works on, like, multiple levels. That's cool. And then, like, I also think lightning is integrated very well here like you know you get the cut back but it's like it i don't think he goes you was there too he's like oh he's just like don't you remember which is a much more subtle way of jumping into it because also because him being there isn't a joke and it's just the logical the cops show up at the end of the noir yeah also allows me to call lightning mcqueen a bastard I like, too, that in in this way, it's kind of apparent, like, what the joke is. I mean, what, what the relationship between Mater and Lightning is by having Lightning be in the story. Because if Mater is telling this fake story to make himself seem like a badass, it seems like a much cooler move to make Lightning seem like a badass for being there, even though he wasn't. Which doesn't always happen, especially, like, in Moon Mater, when he's just like, you were there, too, and you were being shot... You were attached to some rockets or something like that. Or the flip side of that, which I think works just as well, is when in Mater the Greater, he's he's making fun of Lightning McQueen for questioning his story by giving him an embarrassing part in the story. That's just something I appreciated about this one. I will say that the opening of the framing is a little bit clunky. There's this kind of, I have to refill my tires with air, everyone, that Lightning says. And then Mater comes in and he's like, oh, I thought I already solved that case. But he doesn't say it like he's responding to Lightning. There's just something that seems off about that opening. It is clunky, but also it's one of those things where like I don't even really want the framing, you know? The framing is an afterthought in this one, which is a plus. Like, we don't, we would like, it's literally like, let's just get to it. Let's get to the business of this short and then at the end, when it's like, it's not, I also think the ending, like, tag of it works, too, because it is just randomly flows having a party. So it's like, okay, sure. Like, it doesn't even really connect to what you just watched, which is fine. Well, flow's in the background. Well, no, no, I understand that. I'm saying, though, like, flow popping up at the end due to a maraca party doesn't That's inherently... Not flow, pr- though. That's Carmen. Okay, They're but- different characters. Flow is in the background of that scene. Okay, well, I didn't catch that. But also, even if it is Carmen, just because someone randomly shows up to a Morocco party doesn't prove what Mater was saying was right, is my point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to jump back to another short, then talk more about Mater Private because I do remember, because you talked about the wraparounds. Um, heavy Metal Mater. Really bizarre threw me off when Luigi opens with him doing karaoke. 
I'm like, is that really the best way we can get into this? Is it's karaoke so. night and Mater doesn't want to become a heavy metal star again? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Because I, I love the... What am I trying to say? Not the texture, but I love the image of... Louis, of What is his name? Luigi. Luigi. Of Luigi doing karaoke. It's just kind of funny that everyone is very supportive of him doing Italian karaoke. And then I think that I get it. Too. I don't know if they really play this aspect of his character, but if Mater is nervous about singing, it makes sense for him to tell the story about him being a rock star. I think that that is totally fine on the page. It doesn't exactly come across that way in the performance, but I like that opening. And I, and I think, too, it's also, it doesn't have the problem that Mater Private Eye has, where Lightning has to come on and say, wow, these tires are really deflated. Because you just need to hear audio before Mater comes on and s- says, ah, the case of the deflating tires, you know. Okay. I'm not going to argue too hard before we're going to say this, but I do want to mention it. But Mater, Private Eye, is honestly, I, don't, I feel like, again, I might be praising it a bit too much, but I, I, like, I legit think this is like a good, like, this is something I would show. A good short. Well, like, in film school, not necessarily, like, as a film, like, like, this is great cinema, but, like, it was, like, we're doing a genre parody class. This would be the one I'd pick the show. Like, one of several shorts I'd pick. Because no, I'm sure there's other stuff I could pick that aren't even Mater shorts, but, like, this you is the only one that... Like, Roger like, Rabbit. Well, I meant, like, for a short film. But I do think this also just works well as, like, it's six minutes long, five minutes long. Doesn't feel like it's going too fast, either. It feels like it's hitting everything with the exact amount of time it should. Obviously, Roger Rabbit... Well, the thing about Roger Rabbit is, I think Roger Rabbit... I don't want to be like, it's too good, because it's not like it's too good. It's that Roger Rabbit kind of transcends being a parody and actually like becomes an entry of its genre to me. Yeah. It's just like a weird comedy entry. But Mater Private Eye is still like very much like we're lifting lines from our things. We're parodying stuff. We're doing jokes mm-hmm. that only work within the Cars world. It's literally everything we ask for out of these shorts. And it's executed to the best level other than like, yeah. What did you think of it on Letterboxd? Oh, I don't have a funny review. I, uh, the thing I'm about seri- you wrote a serious long review on Letterboxd for Mater Private Eye. Out of no, respect. no, I uh, so I have the second most like <laughs> actually the best. I wish I read the most popular review. I have the second most liked review. It's just I don't have anything sad to say here. This is a great exercise in genre parody, and I was engaged the entire short. Good stuff. Four out of five, and it's the second most liked review. Forty five likes. So a lot of people agree with me. I guess that it's good, and like you should make a joke about it because it's actually good. But the most liked review is a three star review by user JKM. Which uh, it has 93 likes. It just says, Mater, it's me, Orson Wheels. I haven't seen The Third Man. I've seen The Third Man, but he doesn't call himself Orson Wells in The Third Man. Okay. That's 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 my issue with that. The review behind mine is, uh, forget it, Mater, it's Radiator Springs, which is a little more lazy of a pun, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you anything else you want to say about with Mater, Private Eye? No, not really. I think that it's fine. Everyone should watch it. It's good. It's actually good. It's a good entry in the Mater Tall Tales. Universe. I think it's legitimately. I think if I remember right, if I have a, let me check really quick. I think it might be my highest. I think I have like a Cars list on Letterboxd because you know there's so many short films of Cars in it, and I think it's actually like the highest on my overall Cars list if I remember right. Because I think it, I do like it more than I think it is more. Even as a big fan of um, you know, Cars too, I do think that Mater Private Eye is more successful overall because it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think this is the best entry Cars ever put out. <laughs> it's made in private eye. Well, we'll see. But I haven't seen the On the Road yet. I haven't seen the new stuff, so we'll eventually get to that. 
I'm really tickled by the idea of a Cars Fury Road parody. I hope that they do that at some point. I actually do. I think that is a part of the new shorts that I haven't watched yet. So I'm curious about it. Like the shorts they put out last year that I haven't like because why would I watch new car shorts now that I have this podcast where eventually I'll have to rewatch them, you know? <laughs> it's kind of interesting we think about it as a car movie, but it's not really a car movie when you watch it. Like you're not thinking about like oh my gosh that car is great or whatever. Like his car gets destroyed in the beginning, but it is a rig. You do think of the the, the rig as like a normal rig, so yeah. But yeah, everything else I guess is so. Kind of I just think of them as like extensions of the drivers. So they don't have, like, a character outside of themselves. I don't know. That's not really, like, well-researched. That's just my memory of Fury Road. I should rewatch Fury Road. There was a time I, were, I would watch it, like, every six months, I feel like. And then since 2019, I just haven't. Because I screened at the music box once, and I was kept going back. And it was like, now I'm like, I'll wait for it to come back. Because they, they used to say they are going to bring it every year. Then COVID hit, and now it's like, well, we're not doing that anymore. Did yeah. I tell you the music box announced their 70mm mini-fest? Should I yeah. do that triple feature of Nope, Boogie Nights, and Inception? It sounds like a perfect day. Because I don't mind Inception being last because I've seen it the most, you know? That would be a good one to be like, watch the first two and then get like a beer and a popcorn for Inception. Yeah, exactly. And you wouldn't want to end with Nope because I feel like you would get hungry by the end of the day, but you don't want to like eat something and then watch Nope. I, I saw a funny quote where on twitter where someone a lot of people are like the babylon hive on twitter has replied to it. it's like babylon's already being considered a cult classic because the music box is already repertory screening it as if like they're an authority on it but then someone else replied yes but they're screening it with boogie nights which means boogie nights is going to directly outsell it and prove you guys to you guys that people like it more boogie nights <laughs> is, is actually going to kill babylon because people will spend their 70 millimeter money on that and then the music box will be like wow no one bought tickets for Babylon. I am really, I am, I don't want to say really upset, but I am a little bummed they couldn't get Bardo. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it. Um, They were playing, one theater gave like, sorry, hold on. I have to adjust my headphones because they like fell off my hat. Which is yeah, we're annoying. both wearing a baseball cap today. This is like the most podcast looking we've ever Yeah, that's the only reason I put on my hat actually was because Marquette is on. So I was like, ooh, let's match. Um, But um, Bardo, there was a local theater. Um, It's actually, um, I think it's at UIC. Anyway, it's they play one movie. They play one movie every night, and in February they were playing Bardo, and I was like, "Great, I want to see this because I like seeing every Oscar nom." I cannot sit through Bardo at home; it's too long. I know I'm not gonna be able to pay attention to it, and I surprisingly liked Bardo as someone who does not like Interview Two. I was very shocked, and yeah, okay. So what I'm gonna say is, and I can say this now because I'm looking at when this episode comes out, so we'll be fine. I'm actually going back to Doc Films because they're showing a Snub Club movie. On 35mm, like, the day we, like, basically we had to just switch to recording dates, and it's like, it literally lines up perfectly with our schedule, so I'm like, great, I'm gonna see, um, I don't know if you know it, it's Bob and Alice and something and something, uh, it's a six, late 60s sex comedy that they're showing on 35mm, so I'm like, cool, I'd love to see it and do a Snuff Club episode after I see it in the theater, that'd be fun. Yeah, great. Well, anyway, are we done with the Mater's Tall Tales? We can move on to La Luna? La Luna! Should we give back background on this one? There's not a whole lot of background, I don't feel like. It's just directed by the guy that will direct Luca. It's kind of funny, you know, doing this whole thing we're doing where we're rewatching these things, and then you could watch something and be like, I wonder, you know, you watch Bao and you're like, wow, I wonder what that director went on to make. And then I felt the same way with La Luna. Where I'm, wow, which, which Italian movie did this become, you know? I think it's interesting because I used to... Here's my take on this short. I used to hate this short. I used to think this was really bad. 
And now that I, maybe it's because we watched it in close proximity to a bunch of major shorts. Or I think more likely it's because I've watched Luca and seen what this guy moves on to. I now really like this. I don't like super like it. I think it's still like a little too simple for me. But I think, I think my initial take was, you know, the art style just reminds me of a Kleenex commercial. That's one of my go-to like complaints with shorts is like sometimes like with the art style, it's like it looks like a Kleenex commercial. Didn't we already make that joke about something else though? I no, feel it's, like... well, it's one of my go-tos. I'm not, I'm not even saying it's like I'm not being creative here. I'm just it's something I say is like it's Kleenex commercial. Yeah. That's interesting because I definitely I don't know I like this short. I think I'm like net positive, but I definitely got that feeling watching it where I'm like this just isn't like a very rich image. And it's kind of draggy. I felt that way about Luca too, but I, you would disagree about that. But I do think that, like, I think the relationships in this short are great. And I think that the way the plot progresses is really great. It gave me intense memories, weirdly, of El Tigre. And I don't know if you know what that is, but I hope you do. I don't know what that is. It's a one-season Nickelodeon cartoon that is incredibly influential because even though it's one season long, it... The director of it went on to do, um, he made the Book of Life, that um, Fox movie, that now on Disney Plus, which is really funny that, like, the Book of Life and Coco are right next to each other on this, like, you know, every Dia de los Muertos, they always put both of them up. There's like, here, we have the two of them. But then also, beyond the book, they also, he also did recently for Netflix that miniseries I never watched called My and the Three that I've heard very good things about. But he has, like, a very distinct art style, is my point. But the plot of that was um, El Tigre is a kid superhero, or rather a kid super person, because his dad is a superhero, and his grandpa is a supervillain, and he's constantly swayed to do either way of things. And the show ended with a cliffhanger where it's like, will he choose good, will he choose bad? And I think, if I remember right, I think they got canceled, like, right last minute. It's like, we please wrap this up. They're like, okay. But then they, like, did it so, like, you could vote online if you could become a hero or a villain. And they released both endings. I'm like, this is how the show ends. Like, yeah, it becomes a hero or a villain. You kids, kids get to vote. Mm-hmm. But then it was, like, on the DVD, they put them both out. But it was a nice show. It's, if you look it up, you'll see the art style is really cool. But... Anyway, gotcha. that was all, is because the grandpa and the dad here remind me of them. Also, obviously, the dad in here completely reminds me of the dad in Luca. Like, just he has two mm-hmm. arms, and it kind of threw me off when he was rowing, and I saw two arms. I was like, that's not how he's supposed to look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why does he have both arms? Yeah. I appreciate, uh, well, I don't know. I'm not super connected to Luca, so I just just was like, oh, yeah, I recognize that model. I also thought um, the score is nice. But, I, I mean, it is a good score. It's a, it's a very good Michael Giacchino score here. But I also had the thought that, like, I'm very glad Dan Romer did Luca. Because that's a score that, like, while I'm watching this, even as it ended, I was, like, trying to hum this song back to me. And just tunes from Luca came in my head instead. Because mm-hmm. the Luca yeah. score is such an earworm. So, if you all don't know what we're talking about, Luca oh, yeah. <laughs> is a short film. <laughs> about a kid who goes out with his dad and his grandpa on a boat in the middle of the ocean and then the full moon rises and we learn that their job this is kind of like this this is kind of the end of the short when you actually learn like what they're doing why they're out there we learn that they're out there because shooting stars fall on the moon and that's what creates like the glow of the moon and they have to like sweep the stars around the surface of the moon in order to make it change phase and most of the short is the kid 
hearing from the dad or the grandpa and they're all speaking in gibberish as confirmed by the wikipedia box <laughs> um and he's hearing from the dad versus the grandpa about like how to clean up the moon so that is that's all of luna and i just i don't know i think my favorite part about the short is that you never exactly have it resolved between the dad and the grandpa like what their conflict is they both think that they're right and eventually of course the short is kind of about oh the son has to go his own way he breaks a giant shooting star with a hammer instead of using the broom or the mop like the other guys want to do that's kind of what the short's about i just i like all of the little moments where the kid is trying to mimic both of them and also how he processes their arguments, like he sees them both as being kind of silly. I also really like the moment where when the kid breaks the big shooting star, he falls down because the star falls in a bunch of different pieces. And you see for the first time the dad and the grandpa's eyes because they're entranced by beauty and they're also alarmed for the kid's safety and then when he falls but when the kid comes up again and you see that he's fine their eyebrows go back down and i kind of like the character idea of having these tough guys who can be soft and caring for a second and then as soon as that's done they revert back to the way they were and it's not like you kind of accept them in either state so it's not like they're mean and abusive and cold and whatever it's just like well this is how these guys are until they get really worried about their kid and then they go back to being their normal grouchy selves they are what we grow beyond that is the burden of all masters what does that mean that's from star wars what part of star wars is that from that's from the last jedi yoda says it to luke it's one of the best lines in the movie. He goes, they are, uh, he says about Ray, he's like, um, they are what we grow beyond. That's the burden of all masters is like, you know, it's, it's a big line. But anyway, I was, I had that thought when I was watching this because I think what's interesting is yes, they're arguing over it, but when he finds his own way, they're not even like, neither of them are offended that he picked his own way over them. And I like that about it. I think yeah. the moment you mentioned, I, I loved your analysis of it. I agree with it, even though I didn't think of it that way. But I also can give you that my thought watching this short in 2012 at the drive-in of Brave was that was dumb because uh, two years prior, well, three years prior to Brave, but two years prior to this short being released in 2011 at a festival, the the dad looks a lot like the dad from Clive with Chance Meatballs. And the same thing happens near the end of that movie where he finally raises his eyes and he's like, look me in the eye, son. And I don't know, it just really was like, okay, cool, you did the thing that was in that thing I saw two years ago. Once again, Phil Lord and Chris Miller ahead of the curve. <laughs> have, I, have I told you on my podca this podcast or anywhere my parents' opinion on Spider-Man No Way Home? Because it's one of my favorite opinions they've ever given me. I think I remember, and it was just that they thought it was like, why did they do this when Into the Spider-Verse Why why they exists? Why they make a live-action remake two years after the first one, the original movie? That's how they worded it. It was like, why did they do... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually a good point. I think, yeah, definitely watching this in isolation, it's easy to forget that these are all just, like, tropes. Especially watching a back-to-back of Mater shorts, this immediately comes off way better than most of them. Although Mater Private Eye is better than La Luna. But. Yeah. I do recommend looking at some of the... Just go on the Wikipedia page and look at some of the things that inspired this short, because there's obviously The Little Prince, which is a great book, and then there's also this 
uh, Italian short story writer, Italo Calvino. And his stuff really interested me. I think he's kind of the source of the idea that the moon is close and you have to, like, you can, like, humanly interact with parts of nature. His short story collection, at least the way it was described, was very interesting to me. I do think also watching this is because I have the same thing open where it's like, this is the influences on Casa Rosa. And it does make me remember, like, oh, yeah. One thing I really do like about Luca is like how vibrant it is and how beautiful the backgrounds are and the lighting is. And I think even though this takes place at night, I think the best thing about this short visually is the lighting of the stars on their faces always looks really neat and cool, but not like it's trying to be cool. It's just this is naturally what an otherworldly body should look on your character. And I think that's both an interesting approach and a well-executed approach. I remember at the time people were like, this is one of Pixar's best shorts recently, which was bogus because it came out like three or four years after Wally and Presto. But sure, I guess it's an upgrade off day and night and uh, partly cloudy. And I'm sure Mark's going to say it's an upgrade off Presto because he hates Presto. Presto is the most overrated film I think we've talked about on this short, this podcast. You know what the most overrated this? Made or private out. No, I'm <laughs> Have you, like, you remember, like, the second Magic Mike movie, right? <laughs> Okay. We already talked about this. We had a whole episode about Presto. Okay. Anyway, I think I, I'm, I'm probably, I'm kind of out of thoughts about La Luna. It's nice. It's cool. I like Luca more. I think, um, I do think, to make one last point about what you were saying, like watching Bao and being like, I wonder what will happen next from this. I remember leaving Bao and being excited about what happened next for that filmmaker. Whereas La Luna, I was like, Ugh. when they announced Luca finally, like eight years later, because, you know, it took him, it came out in 2011. This was finished in 2011. Luca doesn't come out till 2022. 2021, sorry. So it takes 10 years for him to finally get his feature off the ground or and finished. I remember when it was announced he was doing his own short, his own film, I was kind of like, all right, like right, we'll see if he can do better than his short. Whereas with Bao and Turning Red, I was like so hyped for Turning Red. And I think it's interesting because mm-hmm. I actually do like Luca more than Turning Red. So I do still like Turning Red a lot, though. So, Well, do we want to give it some awards? Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll give Heavy Metal Mater... I'm not, I'm not giving all of these the same thing. Oh, actually. well, I mean, no, I was going to say, we can give Mater's Tall Tales, the three bad ones, they can just, they get, um, they get some gas, I don't know. They get some ice cream mm-hmm. from the ice cream. Um, but I think we can give Mater's Tall Tales and La Luna something of their own, if we want to. No, sorry, Mater's, Mater Private Eye, something of its own. I guess, I don't know, I'd give Mater Private Eye, like, let's give it tickets to go see Who Framed Roger Rabbit. By the way... Here on Looking for the Ocean, we like to give films things. Most reviewers will give them star ratings or, like, numbers out of ten or something like that. We like to give them actual objects like gifts or experiences. So, yeah, I would give... I would... Let's go see Roger Rabbit. I'm giving Mater Private Eye Chippendale Rescue Rangers 2, but this time Mater's the third build lead. Because we know he can be a good detective. I guess I would give La Luna Luca... Because that seems to address all of my criticisms with La Luna. And just seem, you know, more Italian stuff. La Luna would like that. So that's my gift to La Luna. I'm going to give La Luna some cheese because the moon is made of cheese. Mm-hmm. Have some, and also, have some cheese, Gromit. Because um, this is no a grand day out. <laughs> uh, uh, man, I should rewatch a grand day out. I should rewatch the other ones because I rewatched the Grand Day out a couple years ago and I have not rewatched the other shorts in forever. Yeah, I don't want to give the other three Mater shorts anything. I guess I just want them to be like guests with me as I give 
as we go to all those screenings that I gave the other shorts, they can all just come along and hang out. Learn something. <laughs> Maybe. I hate to be I hate to be too critical about the production of these things because they're bumpers and probably were not afforded very much. But then you get something good like Mater Pravati. It's like, what the heck? Why aren't they all like this? I don't know, man, but that's the thing. I don't know. But anyway, those are my thoughts. Do you have any more thoughts? No, we can we can be done. All right, what are we doing next week? Next time, we're doing Toy Story shorts. We are actually going to jump ahead a little bit. We have reasons, don't worry. We have good reasons. We're trying to sync up an episode of a certain release date, which is easier than we thought. So we're bumping something ahead of it, which is Hawaiian Vacation, which is the Toy Story short that was attached to Cars 2. Also, you know what? It'd be nice to do it before Cars 2 rather than after Cars 2, right? If it's the short in front of it. And then in addition to that, we'll be doing Small Fry, which is another Toy Story short that released in 2011. That one was attached to the Muppets. But we'll be talking about two Toy Story shorts because Pixar didn't put any Toy Story shorts on the Toy Story 3 DVD. Instead, they decided to put them out theatrically. Which makes sense in a way. You're seeing that actually right now with um, Elemental, where they're marketing that there's an up short with it. It makes sense to, like, Toy Story's popular enough you could use them to market as, like, there's a short with these characters you like in front of it. We've already talked about why that kind of sucks. But... <laughs> well, we'll talk about when we get to Coco. <laughs> oh my, the great tale. All right, well, Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Show is edited by Mark Young. Our original artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. You can follow us on social media at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our website, Looking for the Ocean You can follow me on MarkYoungPerformer.com, and also I'm on Instagram, MYoungInsta. You can follow me, Danny Vincent, at Blankmans on Letterboxd, where I'm sure, because the movie will be out definitely by the time this episode's out, you can see my take on the new Pixar movie Elemental. I don't know what I think of it yet, but. By the time this episode's out, I will. I'll have the take. And I'll actually, fun fact for the listeners also, and for Mark, I will have updated my Pixar ranking list for the first time since we started this podcast, I believe. Oh, wait, that's not true. But, like, the first time we've been watching the movies for the podcast, because Lightyear came out before we did Toy Story. So it will be significantly updated for the first time in a since we started this podcast. Uh, but anyway, you can also listen to our podcast, The Snub Club, where we talk about movies that have the most Oscar nominations and no wins. We will see you next time. Yeah, Toy Story Vacation. Woo, woo.